Hello and welcome to Filled with His Love. You know, this week's Come Follow Me is talking a lot about Jesus' suffering on the cross and in Gethsemane. And, of course, this is the most poignant, powerful example of suffering that the universe has ever known. And so, I'm going to take a little bit different tack today. I'm going to talk about suffering, but from the standpoint of our general authorities, our apostles and prophets, that we watch as they suffer. So, I remember a time when my wife and I were in the Tabernacle Choir, and we had just been on a tour, and we come back, and Joseph Fielding Smith was president of the church at the time, and Jesse Evans Smith, his wife, was a longtime member of the choir. So they stood before us together. Joseph Fielding Smith took the microphone and started to welcome us back and to thank us as singers for being in the Tabernacle Choir. But he started to repeat himself. We became quite uncomfortable. And just as he started to say the same thing over and over, his wife, Jessie Evans Smith, took the microphone from him and said, Oh, Joseph, Joseph, that was just a wonderful welcome. Thank you so much for welcoming us back. We were watching a prophet who was very old, in his 90s, suffering from dementia. We also know that Ezra Taft Benson suffered with dementia at the end of his life, and that Spencer W. Kimball had all kinds of health problems toward the end of his life. I happened to be with my deacon's quorum. We, we visited President Hinckley one day to show him that we had memorized the 13th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, and President Hinckley took us in to his large conference room, and he explained to the deacons that this was the same conference room where he welcomed world leaders. These little 12-year-olds were pretty wide-eyed and amazed when they heard that they were sitting in the same seats that world leaders had also sat in. And then President Hinckley did something I hadn't expected. He asked the deacons if they had questions they would like to ask him as a member of the Twelve. Uh, he was not president of the church at that time. Uh, president Kimball was president at that time. But, And the first question that came to him from a 12-year-old deacon was, President Hinckley, uh, I want to know how how is President Kimball doing? And President Hinckley said, President Kimball is doing probably a lot like you will do when you're in your later years. He is struggling with his health. And we talked a little bit more about it. He didn't give specifics, but I thought it was interesting that the deacon wanted to know and that President Hinckley was very well aware of the concern of members of the church about President Kimball at the time. Now, we also, I mean, we, this could go on forever, but I want to give all these examples because I think it's important when we talk about suffering. Elder Neil A. Maxwell, of course, suffered with leukemia, and we watched him deal with that disease year after year, with his life being preserved longer than the doctors had thought, but still, we watched him slowly dying, basically, before our eyes with that horrific blood cancer disease. Now, here's another example. When 
I was Sunday school president working on Come Follow Me for the Youth. Elder Hales was presiding as a member of the Twelve, presiding over the what was then called the Priesthood Department, what is now called the Priesthood and Family Department. That's where the curriculum really gets developed. And so Elder Hales looked at us at the very beginning of his assignment as the one presiding over the Priesthood and Family Department, and he said, this time, brothers and sisters, I'm going to get it right. I did this years ago, and but this time I'm going to get it right. We laugh because I'm sure he got it right the first time too, but he wanted to do well this time and make sure that we did what we needed to do for the youth of the church. Now, Elder Hales at that time had a lung disease that caused him oftentimes to need oxygen and to be in a wheelchair. And he told us one day, uh, he had been out of the office for months, actually, at one time. He could not come in. His health would not allow it. Uh, But then when he did perk up a little bit and get a little more energy, which he did for several years, um, he told us that his doctor nicknamed him Lazarus because he was constantly coming back from the dead. (laughs) He said the, the disease that he had should have taken his life long before, but he kept on going somehow. somehow. Uh, And I watched him one day. I was needing to uh, present something to the Twelve, and I wanted to practice with the PowerPoint before the Twelve arrived. And so I asked the tech person who was there assisting. I said, so if I get here 30 minutes early, can I have, you know, 15 minutes to run through this myself just to make sure it looks good on the screen. And the tech person said, well, you can get here 30 minutes before, but Elder Hales will already be here. He gets here at least that early to every meeting for the 12, which surprised me. And, but he was, he was a determined disciple and wanted to make sure he was there early enough. So I got there uh, 30 minutes early and the only person in the room was Elder Hales. And so I asked him to give me feedback on the presentation as we were preparing it. So Elder Hales was not feeling good. I mean, he had to be on oxygen all this time. (laughs) There he was, um, early to the meeting and staying through the entire session. Another example of Elder Hales, and you've probably heard this story, but Elder Anderson shared this story about Elder Hales. In 2010, a little boy, Jason, watching conference in Baltimore, realized he had the exact same tie that Elder Hales did. His mother took a picture of him. Six months later, Jason wore the same tie in anticipation. But when Elder Hales did not speak in the April 2011 conference, Jason wrote him a letter and sent the pictures. From then on, Elder Hales and Jason wrote back and forth, each letter signed by Elder Hales as, quote, your tie buddy, T-I-E, your tie buddy, because they had the same ties. And by the time Jason met Elder Hales face-to-face in 2013, Elder Hales had determined to always wear his black tie with white polka dots for general conference. Perhaps the sweetest part of this story? Well, Elder Hales, at Elder Hales' request, Sister Mary Hales had Elder Anderson help her give that tie to Jason after her husband's death. So this shows we watch these leaders of the church 
on their way to death because the 12 serve until they die. And watching them suffer with whatever disease might befall them is, I believe, one of the reasons that we have living prophets, seers, and revelators. We need to be able to see them and how they deal with suffering because we have our own bouts of suffering and we want to be able to endure whatever mortality inflicts on us. I was also privileged to see President Monson at the end of his tenure, and he obviously also had multiple health problems. And at one time, he became quite wobbly on the stand. And so here's what happened there. Quote, most of you probably do not see what was happening behind President Monson at the end of his talk. This is given by somebody who watched this happen. I was on the floor just a few rows from the very front of the conference center with a clear view of the scene. You might have noticed that President Monson really struggled to finish the last couple of minutes of his talk, and especially the last 30 seconds. I was afraid for him. I thought he might faint, pass out, or something worse. And then my heart melted when I saw behind President Monson was President Uchtdorf, on the edge of his seat, almost halfway standing up with his arms outstretched, ready to catch the prophet at any moment if he fell. You could see the worried expression on President Uchtdorf's face, as well as focused determination. He was on the high alert and ready to catch him. As soon as President Monson said amen, President Uchtdorf was immediately at his side and carried him back to his seat, safe and sound. Now, all of these examples, I, I could go on with these forever, of course, because we watch every one of these members of the Twelve in the First Presidency serve until they die, which is exactly what the Twelve did in the early church when Christ was upon the earth. After Christ left, after Jesus was resurrected and left the earth, he left the Twelve to carry on and lead the church and bring others into the church until they died. So, I know if I were to ask members of the church, why is it so important that we have living prophets? I think they would say, well, uh, it's important so that we can get the revelation that God wants us to get as a church. And that's certainly true. Uh, that is one very important part of why we have living oracles and that we don't just depend on ancient prophets, but modern prophets as well. But I think this is, there is something very important that we don't usually think about, and that's we get to watch them serving through all vicissitudes of mortality, no matter what hits them, no matter what disease they have to face, whether it be mental decline or physical decline, whatever they have to face, we watch that up close as they approach their last days on earth. For me, that is a very central purpose for having living prophets on the earth. I was once sitting next to a member of the Twelve, and I, I had about one year left. The organization leaders served for five years. I was sitting next to him, and he said, well, one nice advantage you have is 
you have a termination date. You have an end date. Uh, when you're five years or when you're 70, you will be released. I won't. And what he was reminding me of was the challenge that it is to serve in front of the entire church while suffering from pain, either of body or mind. But I think if we look at them as mortals, they're really, what, what the Lord is helping us understand with living oracles is they are mortal and yet they are committed, faithful, determined disciples. And that's what we all need to be. Their example of serving totally with every ounce of energy they have. I, I used to watch Elder Hales and be amazed that he could still serve. It was difficult for him. I watched President Packer, the same thing, very difficult toward the end of his life in a wheelchair with post-polio syndrome that can often completely shut someone down. But he kept on as long as he could until he was taken by death. These examples to me are so powerful of what we need to be like when we face the difficulties we face in mortality. It is suffering of, of whatever kind. And the Lord himself showed us, first of all, that example. He could have done away with the suffering if he wanted to, but he didn't. He suffered for us. He suffered because he had committed to his Father in heaven that he would suffer. And then he suffered on the cross and in Gethsemane for us. In some ways, I see the living prophets and apostles doing the same. They are suffering in public for the sake of the church, for the sake of us, for our benefit. And we can watch them, we can pray for them, but they still suffer. Even President Nelson, as strong as he is, mentioned just recently in a conference that he had a seat behind him just in case he needed it to prop him up. Here he is turning 99 in a few months. And we can watch him serve with all of his might and strength to the very end. So the words about enduring to the end take on added meaning when we watch our leaders endure to the end. That means we can also endure whatever comes to us in our life. Family problems, relationship difficulties, mental illness, spiritual problems, physical disease, whatever comes, we can do it because we have seen so many of our leaders face these seemingly impossible difficulties at the end of life. So that's my hope that I can uh, be that kind of disciple. And I am sure it's also your hope. Look forward to seeing you next time.